Good morning, everybody. Good morning, Vancouver Eastside Vineyard Church. And uh, all who are joining us for this Sunday's message, happy 15th Sunday after Pentecost <clears throat> in what we call ordinary time, or as we've been saying, not so ordinary time. And just as if things couldn't get crazier, uh, the last time I preached, uh, we were in the midst of a worldwide pandemic our continent torn by racial strife. <clears throat> but today, our whole city is engulfed in smoke from wildfires from California, Oregon, Washington. And so stay safe, everyone. Be blessed and be praying for our, our neighbors to the south. And it's incredibly ironic that this is happening on this day because I want to begin a new teaching series that I'm gonna to be touching on through the fall with the help of our wonderful teaching team. Huge thanks to them for carrying the load through the summer. Just appreciate each one of them, the gifts they bring so much. And, and uh, I'll be coming back into the rotation a bit more, but we'll still be doing this as a community of teachers. And I've asked each of them to look at this topic with me, but I wanna talk about a sacred ecology. Now, what do we mean by that? Probably like me, most of you were introduced to that term ecology in high school, high school biology. And ecology was the study of the interdependency of organisms in a ecosystem, both with living and non-living matter, and how they work together. And so, for example, you know, we looked at the wolf, how that the wolf seems like just this... Uh, predator, but how that the presence of wolves in an ecosystem increases incredibly the number of plants and animals and even fish in the river because it preys on elk who would otherwise destroy the vegetation. And so there's this balance of nature that we, we learned about. But what do we mean by a sacred ecology? Why am I saying that? Well, namely this interdependence between creatures and beings extends to all of life. In fact, it's the essence of the kingdom of God. It's the essence of who we are as humans. And it flows out of the nature of God, out of who God is. God is a trinity. And if you remember the triquetra that we sometimes use to illustrate the trinity, where there's these three uh, interlocking circles all joined by one line. And it, it the trinity as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have been this ecosystem, if I could say, from eternity past, this eco-community of inter interdependent love and relationship. And when God created the universe, God created that, that ethos, that ecosystem into everything, every into all of our reality and, and all of our being. And today I want to talk about, and basically through the fall, I want to talk about the interdependency of us with each other, with God, but particularly with a focus on creation. And there's an interdependency we have together with creation. Uh, for example, uh, there are over 250 rivers in the world that are shared by different nations, some by many nations. So for example, right here in BC, we have the Columbia River that has its headwaters 
in the beautiful Canadian Rockies and it flows a little bit north first and then it makes its way south through Revelstoke. We stopped on it this summer. And then it goes down to the Arrow Lakes district, the beautiful Arrow Lakes where my some of our family camped this year, just were struck by the beauty of that area. Then it flows into Washington and flows along the Oregon-Washington border into the Pacific Ocean. And this river gives blessing and benefit to both sides of the border. There's recreation, there's fishing, there's uh, uh, boating, and, and hydroelectricity is, is derived from this river. And so you can see how each nation treats that river, affects the other nation. And so we actually have a Columbia River Treaty with the U.S. because of that. And so many nations have these kind of treaties where, and sometimes it causes conflict because what one does to the, the river affects another country. And so there is this kind of interdependency that we have as human beings with all of creation. And it affects our relationship with God, with each other, and with ourselves. And one thing that has stood out for me, ironically, on this day when we're, we're engulfed in smoke, is that during this pandemic, it seems that creation has come alive. Uh, I noticed this in this spring as the pandemic started and the, and the whole of civilization seemed to stop. And it just seemed like the skies were bluer, the, the grass and the trees were, were greener, the flowers more, were, were just more brilliant in their beauty and the scenery more spectacular. Uh, we drove for the first time in a long time through the Canadian Rockies this summer and both to and from Calgary. And it just seemed like this year the, the, the scenery was just so there. In fact, we got stuck in a traffic jam, not really a traffic jam, but it was a construction project in Yoho National Park. And if there's anywhere to get stuck, that would be the place. All around us as we were sitting there in traffic with this guy in a trailer with a Canadian hockey stick sticking out the back of his trailer hitch, so Canadian. And there were waterfalls just plummeting out of the mountains everywhere. The trees, the glaciers, the peaks, the rivers. It was just spectacular. And it just seems like in this season of the pandemic, all of creation is, 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 is trying to send us a message. It's, it's trying, it feels like creation is trying to get our attention. And, you know, uh, this is a message I wouldn't have dreamed for most of my 40 years of, of ministry of ever preaching because for most of my life, I think I've been a bit clued out about this. And I want to tell you about my journey into what Pope Francis would call an ecological conversion, which I think is really needed for the church. Because I was introduced, as I said, to the word ecology in high school, and about the same time, I had a real encounter with Jesus. But it seemed like what I was learning in biology and about ecology had nothing to do with my faith or theology for that matter. Of course, I loved nature like most of you. I loved to camp, I loved to be on the land. And I have fond memories of summer camps and, and going camping and holidays and enjoying creation immensely, but mostly to the degree that I thought, well, God, you're an amazing artist. And that was good, and I would give thanks for that. But the disconnect that I felt was made visible a few years later when I was in Calgary as a youth pastor, devouring books and growing in my ministry, and I came across a new book by one of my favorite authors, Howard Snyder. 
And Howard is still writing today, and, and he wrote a lot of great books on the church and the nature of the church. He wrote books like The Radical Wesley, Community of the King, uh, The Problem of Wineskins. And I just love this guy. And he came out with a fourth book, and I was so excited about this book. And I picked it up, and then I was so disappointed because the title was Liberating the Church, the Ecology of the Church and the Kingdom. <laughs> and I remember reading that title and I was so disappointed. I just thought, what does my revival and the kingdom of God have to do with high school ecology? I, I, it just, there was this disconnect. And uh, I distinctly remember that same disconnect. When I came to, we moved to Vancouver in 1991 and Right around the time it was in the news that this regent professor by the name of Lauren Wilkinson had gone to jail because he was protesting the logging of old growth forests on Vancouver Island. And I remember going, well, that's pretty brave of him, but I, I just felt this disconnect, like there was more noteworthy causes to, 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 to be in prison for, like suffering for the gospel or for social justice even. But this seemed so secondary and I felt the same when people would knock on our door asking for funds for the World Wildlife Fund or whatever. Uh, I just thought that, that yeah, those are good causes but they're not as important as, you know, getting people saved and, and making disciples. And what I didn't realize is that I was being influenced by an ancient heresy, an ancient uh, error called dualism. And that's where conversion comes, is when your eyes are open to an error, to an error in thinking and an error in worldview. And, and that's what slowly began to happen to me. And this, this dual, it's called dualism. And dualism has afflicted rigid religious faith, in, in especially Christianity, since time immemorial. Dualism, in essence, is the belief that the spiritual and the physical worlds are on completely different sep uh, planes, separate uh, entities and, and realities. And even worse, dualism regards matter in the physical world as inferior to the spiritual world. And it goes right back to ancient creation myths in cultures like Babylon who describe creation in their poetry in terms of this violent conflict. Creation was born out of violence between gods and goddesses who were warring and fighting each other. And the spiritual world was created by good spirits and the physical world was created by bad spirits. So from the very beginning in our, our psyche as human beings, we've, we've had this diminished view of creation. Some of us, anyway. And this viewpoint had a profound impact on the, on the Greek New Testament world where the church was born. And it showed up in the early church in an ancient heresy called Gnosticism. Gnosticism basically denied that God had become a human being. It denied that Jesus was a, was a human because how could God become human if matter is evil? And this heresy has continued to afflict the church in various ways since that time with negative views on matter and on the body and on creation. 
And sadly, for many evangelicals, dualism also impacted our eschatology or our view of the end times. And it did me. We kind of had this left behind attitude and heaven being way more important than earth and the world is all going to burn anyway. And so we'll just not really be too concerned about it. And it was a bad misinterpretation of some scriptures as well as totally ignoring many, many scriptures that talk about God's plan to renew and reconcile and restore all things. So the creation story, which was our text today that we've read, Genesis chapter one, for those of you that are joining us on, on the YouTube, rejects this dualism and provides an alternative narrative. The Hebrews as captives in Babylon were confronted with these violent pagan myths of creation. And surprisingly, you may find this surprising, most scholars believe that the Genesis narrative that we read today from Genesis 1 was actually added to the Torah very late in Israel's history in the Old Testament. They actually believe that it happened right after the time of the exile when they returned and maybe during the time of Ezra and all of these creation myths were swirling around them and the, the dominating oppressive culture kind of lived in this world of violence and force. And they felt the need to add an alternative narrative. So it's not like the narrative didn't exist, but it was in the form probably of oral tradition as a liturgical poem. And so they added this creation account to the Torah. And in, in this account, God declares... Oh, let's look at it again. God declares over and over and over again that everything God created was good. Everything was good. This good God, this nonviolent God, this God of love created everything and everything that was created, God said, it's good. Imagine a world, no COVID-19, no poverty, no racial injustice or any kind of injustice or war. Everything came from the heart of God, born out of love. And here in the creation story, right in the first couple of verses, we have the, a picture almost of a father and a mother. The first picture is the spirit of God like a mother brooding and giving birth. And then the tender voice of the father saying, let there be light. It's like a, the father and mother God are giving birth to creation. And at the climax of the creation, when humanity is male and female were created in the image of God, God said, not only is it good, but it's very good. There was a special love in the heart of God for everything Everything that was created was created out of love. Every human being was created out of God, out of love. God said to Jeremiah, before you were born, I knew you. And Psalm 139 tells us that's, that's true of every one of us. We were in the heart of God from all eternity and were born out of love. Each of us, Pope Benedict said this, each of us were born as the result of the thought of God. Each of us is willed 
Each of us is loved. Each of us is necessary. Think about that. The creation narrative tells us that, that every creature and object has intrinsic worth. First of all, because it reveals the creator. As I've said previously, God from eternity has wanted to be known. And the way that God unfolded that is by creation. So every creature and object reveals something of God that nothing else can. God is so immense, everything is needed, including the millions of undiscovered organisms at the bottom of the ocean that humans don't even know about yet, but are there. There's, this is especially true of us as humans. Each of us are a unique expression of God who cannot be duplicated by any other person, creature, or thing. Yet we need each other for the full picture. None of us are the full picture in ourselves. And not only does, does every creature reveal God, every creature is indwelt by God. Like Jacob, most of our lives we say, God was in this place, but I knew it not. And we're not talking about pantheism, where we worship creation, but panentheism, to use the word of Richard Rohr, that God indwells creation, and he proved it when he came in the incarnation in Christ, who then rose and again filled the whole universe. Everything matters because God indwells it. And that means that everything we do matters. Every vocation matters. There is no vocation that is more or less spiritual. Everything belongs. And last but not least, the creation story tells us that we are all part of this sacred ecology of interdependent relationships that flows from the heart of God to all creation. And, and even though the word isn't used in the book of Gen in, in Genesis 1 and 2, the Bible description of this harmonious interdependent relationships is the word shalom. Now, most of us have heard that word in terms of in translation as peace, but and it does mean peace or wholeness or a sense of well-being, but it's particularly as it's connected to everyone else. In other words, our own sense of peace and well-being is connected to the peace and well-being of others. And indigenous cultures understand this so well. Chief Seattle said, talks about the web of life. All things are connected. Whatever befalls the earth, befalls the children of the earth. So of course, as we know in our story, and I'm gonna develop this in the weeks to come, this shalom was broken by sin when we refused to embrace our limits and we tried to become God. And as a result, these interdependent relationships were ruptured. Our relationship with God, with each other, with creation, and even with ourselves. And the good news is, is that God has promised through the work of Christ and our partnership with God, the restoration and the renewal of all things. And we are part of that story. We are in that story. And so we start not by looking at the parts, like a mechanic taking out a part of a car, but we start by looking at the whole and recognizing that we are all interconnected. And as Jesus said, my father is always working. 
And so we work with God, not only in the work of creation, but recreation, the new creation that God is, has begun in Christ through his death and resurrection. God wills the interdependence of creatures, the sun, the moon, the cedar, the little flower, the eagle and the sparrow, the spectacle of their countless diversities and their inequalities tells us that no creature is self-sufficient. Creatures exist only in dependence on each other to complete each other in the service of the other. Do you know where that comes from? The catechism of the Catholic Church. It's so beautiful. Listen to what Paul says in Romans. He's talking about all glory be to God from him, listen, from him, through him, and to him are all things. Wow. And to the Colossians, Paul wrote that in Christ all fullness would dwell, that he might reconcile to himself all things, earth and heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. It's good news for creation too, not just for us. Soil, water, mountains, everything is a caress from God. Our psalm today was Psalm 19, where the, the psalmist writes about two books. The first book is creation, and the second book is, is God's book written for us. Pope John II said, God has written a precious book whose letters are the multitude of created things present in the universe. So Jesus welcomes and invites us into this story of restoring all things. I want to close with a little story. This summer we were in Calgary and as is often the case, we stay with family members who live close to Fish Creek Park and there's different, it's such a long park, it, tra it traverses the whole south side of uh, Calgary. It's a beautiful river and, and forest and, and lots of beautiful hiking trails, miles and miles. And where we stayed this time, I found a new leg of Fish Creek Park. I hadn't walked before or that I remember. And one morning I'm just enjoying my prayer time and on my walk and I looked out over a valley and all of a sudden I had this OMG moment. And this OMG moment had to do with the fact that I recognized a site, a beaver dam and a bend in the river where my daughter at the age of seven years of age had said, Daddy, can you baptize me? And we had baptized her in that part of the river. And the, the season in our life was right after my breakdown. I was recovering and we were getting ready to leave Calgary to spend two years in England. We'd just been in Zimbabwe and after that we were gonna move to Vancouver. So our lives were in, in upheaval. And this beautiful woman, Shirley Galley, lived in a neighborhood right next to Fish Creek Park. And she just loved us with her whole family so much and in that time and has always been that way. And she recently, past so i just send a shout out to shirley so such a wonderful blessing to us in our lives but it was on a picnic that we'd gone and we were with friends and team members who traveled to zimbabwe with us and and our daughter was baptized and that moment came back and i took some pictures and videos and i think i sent you a video as a church and i i showed d and she was so excited and kathleen our family members and I remember walking back one morning after I'd been to that site. I, just, I returned to that site several times during our visit to Calgary. And, and the trees are deciduous with all these leaves. And all of a sudden, as I'm, 
whoa, I can already tell this with a whoo. I, I'm walking down this trail and all of a sudden I literally heard the trees clapping. They were all these, it was like this gentle wind and it felt like they were clapping. And, and I felt like they were clapping for me. And I remembered that, that psalm that says all the trees of the field were clapping, will clap their hands from Isaiah. And I, I just realized that creation was worshiping with me and celebrating with me. This long journey in, in uh, the, uh, uh, this journey in a long direction, as, as Eugene Peterson says, an obedience in a, in a long direction. And it was just one of those moments. So in our reflection time today, what I'd like to ask you to do is that mo- many of us have special places that we hold in our memory, in the history of our journey with God. And take some time in silence to go back to one of those places and reflect on why that was significant and share in your groups, breakouts a bit later, or with if you're in, watching the YouTube, just find somebody to talk to about a time or a place where God met you in creation that reminded you of who you are. And the other question, if you have time, is each of us, this statement, each of us is the result of the thought of God. Each of us is willed. Each of us is loved. Each of us is necessary. Sit with that. How does that resonate with you? Or, or does it have a different effect, an aversion on you? What do you feel in your body and in your emotions? What might be behind some of those feelings? So I want to close with a prayer that St. Francis of Assisi, maybe one of the greatest apostles of creation and ecology that the church has ever known. And I don't have time to read all of it, but I want to give this as my closing prayer today. St. Francis said this, Praise be to you, Lord, with all your creatures, especially Sir Brother Son, who is the day and through whom you give us light. And he is beautiful and radiant with great splendor and bears a likeness of you, most high one. Praise to you, my Lord, through Sister Moon and the stars in heaven you form them clear and precious and beautiful. Praise to you, my Lord, through Brother Wind and through the air, cloudy and serene in every kind of weather through whom you give sustenance to your creatures. Praise to you, my Lord, through Sister Water, who's very useful and humble and precious and chaste. Praise be to you, my Lord, through Brother Fire, through whom you light the night, and he is beautiful and playful and robust and strong. Praise be you, my Lord, through our Sister Mother Earth, who sustains us and governs us and who produces fruit with colored flowers and birds and herbs. Praise and bless my Lord and give him thanks with great humility. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, God bless you. Amen.